what powerful words in a song. And I had to reflect as Chris was sharing the background. Why is it we get so strange in church where we ban a song like that for a while? <laughs> but we do it, don't we? Things that really bring honor and glory to God, we somehow get offended. And we just really act strange and stupid sometimes. Amen? Anyway, for those that I ran across this, and this is a politically correct Christmas greeting, okay? Put it on the screen so you can follow me. It says, best wishes for an environmentally conscious, socially responsible, low-stress, non-addictive, gender-neutral, winter solstice holiday. Breath, practice with the most joyous traditions of the religious persuasion of your choice, but with respect for the religious persuasion of others who choose to practice their own religion, as well as those who choose not to practice a religion at all. And of course, any politically correct Christmas greeting, we have to have a disclaimer. Disclaimer says this greeting is subject to clarification or withdrawal. It implies no promise by the wisher to actually implement any of the wishes for her, himself, or others, and not responsibility for any unintended emotional stress these greetings may bring to those not caught up in the holiday spirit. (laughs) Easier to say Merry Christmas. (laughs) Let me do an experiment. We've been looking at the Advent Conspiracy. It's been running about 11 years. It's international where they focus on four themes during the Advent season. Worship fully, spend less, give more, and this morning, love all. But let me do this experiment. The experiment is I'm going to give a word and then you shout back at me just anything that comes to your mind, okay? So when I give a word, you shout back at me something that comes to your mind. I'm sure. <laughs> Christmas. Okay. Do you know where the word Christmas comes from? It's Christ's mass. It was an original mass and it turned to Christmas for the holidays. Okay, here's the next word. Ice cream. Oh, Frank's voice was over above everybody's else's. <laughs> Church. Okay. Christian. Okay. Now, the reason I'm doing that, I I heard a speaker say this. He does a lot of conferences. He does a lot of speaking. And he does these shout-outs all the time. And he made the statement that every time he uses the word Christian and people respond back, and he's done this hundreds of times, he said never once has anybody used the word love. And yet, that's our defining mark, isn't it? John writes these words in John 13. A new commandment in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he adds his phrase, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It is to be a defining mark. Now the other defining mark is unity. Found in John 17. The only two places where Jesus comes along and says, listen, if you do this right, then people will sit up and they will take notice of me. Not you, but of me. Now, there's two difficulties I see in this topic. The first has to do with the passage. The other has to do with the title of the message. 
The first question we have to ask in this passage is, how do we define love? I mean, how is it to be lived out? We sing about it. We sang about it this morning. If you listen to secular songs, they sing about love all the time. There's books written. There's stories. There's movies. Okay, confession time. How many of you watch the Hallmark, Hallmark Channel? Raise your hand. Oh, a lot. Nice love stories, right? Have you ever noticed they all follow the same pattern? And yet you keep watching them. But how do we define it? Now, in our attempts, in our world to portray it, it appears to me that we've reduced it two significant ways. One is we reduce it to an emotional state of being, this euphoric state that should exist forever and ever. And secondly, it's about me. It's about us. It's about my euphoric state. It's about what makes me feel loved. It's about what makes me feel good. And it's why we say, oh, you know, I I love that. And you can talk about food. You can talk about your pets. You can talk about so many things because it makes me feel good. Of course, that makes us consumers of love. And is that what this passage means? Now, the second is, what does love all mean? They might say, well, it means love all, but what does that mean? We do know, according to Scripture, we're to follow his lead. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God. Follow his lead. We imitate God as beloved children. We are loved by God. And because we're loved by God, we follow his lead. And he says this, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And again, we know these words, we hear these words, we sing these words, but what does that mean? Bob Goff wrote an interesting book, the title just Love Does. And he has this quote, but I'm going to give the background of this quote first. In this chapter, he writes, Jesus doesn't want stalkers. He says, stalkers, by definition, watch at a distance. They study everything about the person. They worship at a distance, and they have this distorted view of the person, and they usually, stalkers, usually end up harming the person they claim they love. And then he talked about Christianity in America. He says, we have these Bible studies. We have this religious subculture. We have these programs, small groups. We have Christian friends. We have Jesus jewelry, love songs, clothing. And he says, I think that the church stalks Jesus more than loves Jesus. Then he has this quote. I used to think being a believer was enough, but now I know Jesus wants us to participate. No matter what condition we are in. Now, however we attempt to define this kind of love, we do read these words in 1 Corinthians. And this should kind of cause us to sit up and take notice. He writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Let me translate that for you. We love celebrities today, and we have celebrities in the secular realm, and we have celebrity preachers. I know the one class was watching David Jeremiah today. Thousands upon thousands of people consider him a celebrity preacher. And Paul says, listen, you can be the best speaker in the world. You can draw thousands of people on TV. You can have 
hundreds of thousands listen to you on the radio. You can pack your church out. But if it is not out of love, in my ears, it's just senseless noise. That's what a noisy gong or clanging cymbal means. Then he says this, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith as to remove mountains but not have but have not love, I am nothing. Again, we've all come across people that are just very intelligent in terms of theology. I mean, the first person that comes to my mind is someone like Rabbi Zacharias. If you ever heard him speak, you were just awed by his knowledge of Scripture, of life, and everything else. And so Paul comes along and says, you can be one of these people. You can be smart and smarter than anybody else in terms of theology. But if you don't have love, he says, you're nothing. Then there's the social justice warriors. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, I'm a martyr. I mean, I give everything to Jesus, but have not love. What's he say? I gain nothing. So do you understand this morning? It is critical how we define this love. Now, remember last week I said that God thinks very differently about money and stuff than we do? Well, we got to apply this to love, that God thinks very differently about love than we do. He does say it's a defining mark. He does say that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. So when they hear the word Christian, they think the word love, if you have love for one another. Now, in Scripture, it tells us there's five ways to walk in love. Excuse me. And walking in love, I want you to think about Bob Goff's title of the book. I want you to think about love does. It's not some theory in our heads that we study and we claim, but rather it's how our lives are lived out in spite of what we claim we believe. So here's the first. We're to love God. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 38. But we're to love God. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. By the way, let me say this with a Christmas story. When you think about Jesus in the manger and everything was predicted, and I'm curious how much they really believed that Isaiah was right, that the Messiah would come born of a virgin. Who showed up at the manger? Wasn't these guys. I mean, these guys were the smart theologians of the church. These were the leaders. These are the ones that everybody looked to. But why weren't they there? Somewhere in their mind, their definition had changed about the Messiah. And they could quote scripture. And they could recite scripture. And everybody thought they were the most holy of holy people. But they missed the most significant event that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Why? It had to do with their definitions. So they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They didn't want an honest answer. They were just trying to trick him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Of course, he's quoting the Shema. Think of it this way. If Jesus really is mighty God and everlasting Father... We cannot just like him. Doesn't work, does it? Worship 
fully. It's an act of devotion and love. We sing, oh, come, let us adore him. And if Jesus is wonderful counselor, prince of peace, then we will serve him. If the birth of Christ and his life shows us anything, it shows us that he understands and knows what we are going through. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. His counsel is wise and life-giving. But notice I did not say it was easy. Now, you've heard me say this a lot. First things are first. Starting points are critical. And if we're going to understand what defining love means, we have to start with loving God. See, our world wants us to be consumers of love. God wants us to be consumed by his love. Significant difference. Here's the second. We're called to love God. Secondly, we're called to love one another. You heard it in the verse there that we read early, but there's some other passages. And simply what this means is it begins at home. It begins in his house. If we're going to love people beyond the walls of this place, we have to learn what it means to love one another. I mean, it's them watching us love each other that stimulates their curiosity about Christ. Because that love is so different. Second John chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. John writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the very beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. And I could go on and on and on and on. This is a theme that is found throughout the New Testament that is so consuming. Now, the truth is, it's often more difficult to love those we know. <laughs> Amen? Why? We see their flaws. We see their sins. And their flaws and their sins impact us. It impacts us emotionally. And we know things that we wish we didn't know. And our emotions are so tied to these relationships that we often write each other off. But here's the truth of this passage. If we can't get it right here, then we will not get it right out there. There's one another concepts all throughout the New Testament. They are laws of relationships we live by. So that's the second. We love God first. We love each other second. And thirdly, we are called to love strangers. We're called to love strangers. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. I mean, here's one of these words that we get confused about. But he says, let love be genuine. That just means let it be honest. Don't fake it. Abhor what is evil. See, that's an aspect of love that we, we renounce things that are evil, hold fast to what is good. We hang on to things that are good. 
And so often we get controlled by our emotions, we do the very opposite. We hang on to things that are evil and we push away those things that are good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I <laughs> Think about that. I was raised with three brothers. And uh, growing up with three brothers, and I was the fourth, guess how we loved each other? Sometimes with words that were not necessarily life-giving and sometimes with fists when we got into fights. <laughs> And yet, we were always brothers. You know, we couldn't get rid of that. So I don't quite know what brotherly affection means, but I think it's not exactly what we think it means. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that phrase. You want to have a competition? Have a competition about how you can love, how you can honor somebody above anybody else. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You note all these emotional things here. I mean, there's tough times here. There's times that we just want to quit. That's what it means. Do not be slothful in zeal. Sometimes you just want to give up. But then he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word hospitality means literally love for strangers. You know, hospitality for us means we have somebody over for supper and we have a nice time. Hospitality in their day means you met a stranger and you did something nice for them. I loved one of the stories, if you were here, when I talked about the Hands of Hope boxes that you can give away. I love one of the stories that someone from our church went down to Blessings of Hope, got two boxes, didn't quite know what to do with them. So stopped at McDonald's, asked the manager, is there any single mothers here that could use groceries? And the manager said, yes, there are. And so he blessed two employees at McDonald's with two boxes of hands of hope. I mean, that's hospitality. That's loving a stranger. See, these are people outside the faith community. They're strangers to God. They're strangers to us. And we love them in private and public ways. I don't know if you noticed in America, because everything's about marketing, the church has a marketing problem. Because what do you see in the news? You see places like Westboro Baptist and all their protests about people they hate. Our marketing problem with politics, you got those on the left and those on the right. And I mean, it, it's, not, it's not pretty, people. I watch how Christians talk about politics, and it's, it's not really the way of Jesus. Their hope is not in Jesus. Their hope is in whoever sits in the presidential seat of America. Televangelists, one of the things I learned when I went to Africa is that everybody over there thought every church was just like the televangelist church. You know, paid musicians, performances, you know, 20,000 people. This is what people see. And this is all the world knows about us. And if we're okay with that, then we show no hospitality. But I'm telling you right now, if we disengage, people will never know the truth about Jesus. And we have an opportunity to display the light of Jesus in the ways that are not being reported. Here's one you probably have not heard of. And you know how there's tornadoes and hurricanes and floods all across America? 80% of the relief work in America is performed by Christian organizations. 
When's the last time you heard that on the news? But this is what it means to show hospitality. We have to love strangers. Okay, the next. We love God. We love one another. We love strangers. And then we love our spouses. No amen? Come on. Wake up, people. Colossians 3.19. I don't know why you're laughing at this one. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Then in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not, much, not slanderers, that has to do with gossip, or slaves to too much wine. I have no idea why that was put in there for the women and not the men. <laughs> they are to teach what is good, so to train, and listen to this, guys. Women have to be taught. They have to be trained to love husbands and children. Uh, we're called to love our spouses. And for all the talk and all the seminars and all the counseling, I think there's too much talk and not enough love does. See, part of the problem is we live in this culture of entitlement to find us more than Christ does. And so we start saying things like, well, I, I don't feel loved. And we have our definitions. Maybe we watched Hallmark Channel too many times and thinking our spouse should be like that. I don't know. But I have to tell you that through the years of my ministry, I've been witness to people who are out there in the front line as Christians. I mean, they're out there loving strangers. They're out there claiming to love God. They're in the forefront of of social justice issues. And yet in their homes, there's neglect. In their families, with their parents and their kids and their grandkids, there's neglect. And I've witnessed the lack of love in their homes. Now, you've heard me say before that if we can't get it right here, we're not going to get it right out there. If we can't get it right in our homes, we're not going to get it right here, and we're not going to get it right out there. Do you see how all these are intertwined? The last is love our enemies. We love God. We love one another. We love strangers. We love our spouses. We love our enemies. And when you look at that list, is there anybody you could exclude? (laughs) In your life. What God ingeniously did through scripture is he covered all the bases. That's why it means love all. There isn't a single person where he claims that you should not love. Matthew 5 verses 34 and I mean 43 and 44. You've heard it said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, just prior to this, Jesus says, you know, anyone can love someone who loves them back. But he raises the bar. He says, I want you to love people who seek to do you harm. I want you to love people who speak ill things against you. I want you to love people who can't stand the sight of you for many different reasons. Now, again, what does all this mean? I think so often we reduce it to some codependent state of being. And yet for those who need the love, they make it all about themselves. And they start saying, well, you know, if you really loved me, then you would. And that's really not defining love, is it? I mean, there's books written on tough love. There's books written on when helping hurts and all these kinds of things. But what does all this really mean? Before I talk about two things, I want to say this. Some might sit there and say, but you missed one of the ways of love. 
you missed loving yourself. While this is true in Scripture, okay, in Scripture, loving self is never a destination. It's never a focus. Loving self is always a result of a particular action. If we follow the path of the five ways of love, then we will have an accurate loving of self, which finds its home. I hear so often people say, well, i got to learn to love myself first before I can love other people. No, you need to love God first. You need to learn to love other people, and that's where you learn to love yourself. I know it sounds backwards. It's one of those crazy scriptural things that kind of messes with our heads. And God says, I'll take care of that if you follow my commandments. I want to say two things about all this and how we define love. It's number one, it's why we work this out in community. We need wisdom from each other because every situation has similarities, but it also has its differences. We need the wisdom of those who've gone on before us. There's not a single situation that we are going through that someone else hasn't. And it's good at times to get together and just not commiserate our misery, but rather, you know, what do we do in this situation? Give us specifics about what you tried, what you didn't try, these kinds of things. And in community, we realize that outcomes are never guaranteed. Just because you love someone does not mean they will enter into a peaceful relationship with you and God. It doesn't work that way. There are some people that will reject your love for the rest of your life, just like they reject the love of Christ for the rest of their life. And that is sad and tragic. But you understand that why we need community and why we need to love each other and why we need to get through our flaws and our sin is because we work this out in community and that's what the world sees. And the world sits back and says, you know, these people should not love each other. They shouldn't stand side by side. They shouldn't cross over and treat each other this way because of all the injustice that happened. But it's what we do and it's how we work out. Now, the second thing is it's why we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you haven't guessed, you can't do this on your own strength. It's why Jesus, when he left this world, he said, listen, I'm going to send to you a counselor, a comforter. Someone is going to walk with you. Someone is going to give you strength when you have no strength. We need the Holy Spirit because we need wisdom from God and we need, you know, it's one of his fruits. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, and we often talk about this at Christmas time, it's love, joy, peace. Thomas Bruce was an Army Reserve chaplain and he made this statement. And then let me give you the background of this. He says, the more unlikely people we love, the more we resemble God. Think about that. The more unlikely people we love, the more we resemble God. Now, here's what he did when he was in the military. He was serving over in Afghanistan and places that was fighting ISIS. And he developed a chart and a sheet, and they posted on the web that the named terrorists that they were fighting against, he asked for prayer partners for those people. He said, I want you to pray for people that are seeking to destroy us. I want you to pray that God's light will break into their life. And so he asked for people to adopt a terrorist to pray for them. 
And that's a creative way of loving your enemies, isn't it? I realize that's at a distance, but imagine someone who lost a son or a daughter to the war and adopting a terrorist that killed their son or daughter and praying for them. I said before, there's this interrelatedness of these concepts. We have to understand that. To love God accurately will help us love each other accurately, will help us love our spouses, love strangers, love our enemies. And so it's just this mishmash. You can't pull one out and say, I'm going to love strangers and I'm not going to love my spouse. It doesn't work that way. We don't pick and choose. So where do we begin? I think we first begin with self-awareness. We got to know our thoughts. We got to know our words. We got to know what we see, what we hear, what we do. What I'm challenging you to do is that you look in the mirror of yourself rather than just, well, those people aren't very loving and look what they did to me and look how they hurt me. And you ask yourself, listen, where, where have I hurt people? Where have I said things that, that have been cruel, even out of ignorance? Where have I not taken the time to sit down and, and hear someone's story, but I passed judgment way before I knew who they were and what they're going through? This whole self-awareness has to do with doing our hands and feet deal. But we have to understand where it is that we need to ramp up loving God, where we need to ramp up loving inside the body, where we need to ramp up loving strangers and loving our spouses and loving our enemies. Number two, do not let others keep you from loving service. You know, I love when people say, well, I'm not going to do that or I can't do that because, and they start listing people what they've done, said, all these kinds of things. Loving service is never dependent upon your circumstance. Amen? You do it because God called you to do that. And you're that kind of person because God called you to be that kind of person. And this is where forgiveness comes in, even when people don't ask for forgiveness. I still remember the large lesson I learned uh, in Zimbabwe where I was speaking to crowds and whatnot, and I spoke on forgiveness and the head of the whole church over there, and there's about 400 plus churches, said we need to hear this because down through the years when our missionaries were there, and we know what missionaries say and what missionaries teach and what Americans teach and all these kinds of things, they says we've inadvertently learned that we only have to forgive when someone asks for it. How many times do we push away from loving servants because of what somebody else did. Far too many people quit serving in love. There's less than 10% of my class that graduated from LBC that's still serving as a pastor. I know people say they're tired of the criticism. There's one church I served that someone each week handed a corrected copy of the bulletin to the secretary. (laughs) Does that mean the secretary should quit? No, you just keep doing the loving service, right? This is about perseverance. Three, keep the larger picture in play every day. 
You hear me say this often, this world is not all there is. We have this big picture, this transcendent view. Someday evil and everything with it will be destroyed. There'll be a new earth. There's going to be new bodies. We are spiritual beings who happen to have physical bodies at this time. But this isn't what we're going to get for the rest of our lives. Amen? I thought a few people shout on that one. <laughs> but you know, it, it, we get caught up in just this world so often. But we have to have the larger picture in play every day. Then the last, keep yourself in the love of God. Jude chapter 1 verse, well, there is only one chapter. Verse 21 says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, all these things here, we got to train and we got to remember. We got to train and we got to remember. We got to train and we got to remember. Let me close with this verse. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing a song in closing. song that really talks about the message that we have to this world. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, Paul writes, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Remember, we're to be consumed by God's love. We are not consumers of love. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we sing.